0: Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni. Across the Pond in Philadelphia, USA.
1: Welcome to episode 12 of Across the Pond Marketing Transformed. My name's Samuel Monney, a Brit now living in Philadelphia in the USA. And I'm joined from the UK by an old friend and a marketing guru, Chris Lawson. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam. Hey, Chris. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? How's your week been? Been awesome. I'm energized and refreshed. This week's show could be a bit dry, but I know between the two of us, we're going to make this perhaps the greatest podcast episode ever.
0: <laughs> I love your ambition as always, Mr. Well, Glass Half
1: Well, exactly. So I'll get started on this week's show. We're going to talk about what a success look like. We'll get specific on how to know you're succeeding and meeting expectations, and we're going to give you a new perspective on the modern marketing metrics. We had a long debate if this show was too early or too late in the podcast series, but we felt it was really important for us, really strong point of view to have a stake in the ground and go on record for what we believe marketers should have in mind when it comes to metrics. Our perspective is that there are a few key principles that we should have to drive the thinking and influence people out there. Now, hmm. there's a long list of KPIs, key performance indicators. So we're gonna try and avoid acronyms. So please do bear with us because we're gonna you know, articulate things that perhaps you know, but we're gonna make sure. So KPIs, key performance indicators. And we could run down, run them down and there's a scarcity mindset I think helps us, keep, keep us honest and, and simplify and have just the focus view. So we're gonna focus on a magnificent seven KPIs that we're gonna take with us on a marketing desert island. Okay, so, okay, Chris, yep. we're going to Desert Island, we're taking seven KPIs, what rules should we be having in mind? Okay, so
0: so I think it has to be categories rather than the individual specifics, okay. otherwise I think we'll be here all, all night, if uh, if that's the case, uh, or all day, depending where you are, which time zone. You agreed on that one? Yeah, that works for me. And I think we're going to have to reject a couple as well, scarcity, focus, okay. all of those good things. So. Okay. So either one no or two no's, then I think it's left out.
1: Okay, so let's get into it. A starter. Oh, and, and
0: Sam, one other thing. Cool. Okay. I don't think we want a 25-minute pitch on one KPI. You okay, know? so, you so I was just I was getting saying? into
1: it. Okay, and now you're reeling me back in. So we focused, we'll <laughs> be sharp. And these are going to be things that are going to change your life or change, at least change your business performance and change your career. So Good man. the first one. Business performance targets that's going into or bringing up, bring with us onto the island. These are business growth expectations, growing sales by, say, 3% or growing EBIT earnings before interest and taxes by 2 or 5%, whatever that is. It could be to maintain or increase market share, be it dollar sales share or unit share. Market share, you could do that on a global, national, regional level. So if you're an Uber, for example, you're probably looking at data versus Lyft in terms of ride share. And if you're Oscar Mayer, which is a bacon brand in the US, you're probably looking at market share of the bacon category. And I'm bringing them up for a reason, not just to make you hungry, but I'm going to perhaps call (laughs) out an example later on.
0: Okay. Yeah, agreed with that. You've got to focus on what keeps the lights on, um, yeah, and that's where the business measures are the most important. I think it's interesting that different shapes of organization focus on revenues rather than profit, and of course you have to balance a mix. But a number of startups and even scale-ups will be focused on top-line revenue growth, overall revenue figures, and that profit or EBIT doesn't get a mention. Now, let's not get drawn into the the WeWork debate as an example Mm -hmm. here, but I I think you get my point. The challenge is that when you are telling the whole organization it's about top-line revenue growth, Mm -hmm. and that's your mantra for months or if not years, it's hard then to change that focus. One thing that I do think is important is that ARPU, average revenue per user, Mm -hmm. focusing on those metrics, those overall business drivers but customer driven ones are important as well so i think that definitely needs to be part of a mix. Do you yeah. agree with that Sam?
1: Yeah, they, 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 that, that 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 makes it on that that makes perfect sense. I think for me it's also certain companies i've worked for another way to think about it or to build upon the impact of top line growth on pro- is on is its impact on profitability and often use net sales and net sales is sales minus sales deductions. Allowances and returns, and that's what I'm used to in, in corporate roles. So, yep, that one makes it nicely. Chris, over to you. One from you, please.
0: Okay, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a heavy hitter first of a good old classic CPA cost per acquisition in its many forms. This is the bedrock of most marketing strategies, if if not at least the marketing acquisition strategy. You find out your budget, you find out how many customers you have to acquire or need to acquire, and you work out that cost per acquisition or that allowable cost per acquisition. Of course, there's hundreds of variations that we won't get into. Cost per lead, cost per channel, cost Mm -hmm. per inbound channel, um, ROI, that's return on investment. But simply put, this is what we need first, whether it's an old school direct marketing business or a SaaS software as a service business, an oriented orientated business. B2B startup is a metric all marketing teams will be familiar with and is pretty much up there at the top, I think.
1: Yep, that's a good one. I agree that that makes it on. My only caveat, though, is to have some time, spend time interrogating the evidence, supporting act- attribution towards the acquisition there's a real challenge to ensure how you attribute the cost is actually legitimate and and valid and accurate i've been in situations where originally 100 of the attribution is has been given to digital where and then later on say a tv campaign was cancelled the online conversion rates dropped 30 40 50 percent which was proof that it wasn't all attributed to the digital activities and so there are real flaws and in, in some of the assumptions So you've really got to do that well we change yeah, the better in that situation agree. so yeah so, uh, definitely in sort of caveat to those to that mindset. Yeah, and those I, I agree.
0: I, I think we could probably do a whole uh, podcast on attribution itself, whether you're looking at last click attribution or a blended model. You know that those really sort of performance marketing heavy measures and, and and making sure you're absolutely clear what the contributing factors are to your overall campaign.
1: I think is is incredibly important. So, completely with you on that one. Um, Okay. Yep. So then over to me, I'm going to take my turn, even though you haven't asked me yet, because I'm excited about this, Chris. <laughs> the audience is like, they I can see, I can feel their energy. They just can't wait. What else have we got? Well, we got, we've got behavior change objectives, Chris. That's what I'm bringing onto the island with me. The key idea here is that behavior changes are critical drivers of marketing success. And I can see so many people nodding their head, thumbs up, agreeing with the premise of getting people to do more of this instead of that. So for example, you, you want people to visit your business an extra time a week or to get a haircut, cut one more time a month. These are the sources of basic sources of of, of growth. The simplest way to do this is to force yourself into a calculation of how many people we're actually talking about, how many people multiplied by the spend or the increase in purchase amount or the increase in purchase rate. So it could be 10,000 customers spending $10 per year more, which is an extra hundred thousand, or it could be 5,000 customers spending $20 a year more. But If your current customer base, Chris, is only 1,000. Is it really realistic? You're gonna get 9,000 more people. And so this re- this behavior change of more frequency or greater penetration or increased usage, that kind of back of a napkin calculation forces you back to the drawing board from the outset of any planning and any forecasting and any budgeting process. If you can't really calculate it in terms of numbers of people or how many, and you can't get a, a number that is realistic or feasible, then you're back to the drawing board. So behavior change is critical and you should be able to to work that out as simply as on the back of a napkin.
0: Yep, on the back of a napkin, I think, is is definitely the way to go there. Uh, I think unless you've got a clear understanding in your own head, um, using mental arithmetics, what this looks like, you're overcomplicating it. I'm a great believer that you try and simplify these things down and then do the more complicated calculations after that i think the the other interesting thing around that when you're talking about frequency and recency is is thinking around those those metrics of, of the campaigns as well and, and how that comes into it so you might have a another multiplication there as well mm-hmm. um so for me i'm going to go for customer satisfaction next okay. uh, there's some businesses that chase revenues and there's some businesses that serve customers. And I know which ones are ultimately successful is the ones that can do both. Now, you've got a whole um, a whole load of choices here. Net promoter score is probably the most famous mm-hmm. uh, or NPS as it's commonly known. A method to really focus on the advocates and promoters of your brand is it's one simple question. It's an 11 point score range with advocates being those that you score at nine or 10, mm-hmm. passives seven or eight, I believe, if I can remember correctly, and detractors under seven. Mm-hmm. Then you subtract the percent of detractors from a percent of advocates simple um and you, you're going to get either a minus figure or a positive figure um, up to that so so simple that it's now being used by over eight thousand companies um and the question they ask is how likely are you to recommend our company or our product to a friend uh so, so that that's the MPS score there. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I think you can get away with setting your goal as a five-star trust pilot rating as well. But the the point being is that what you're really only judging yourselves on is not the averages, it's not the sixes, the seven or eight, is succeeding and delivering a nine or ten-star service. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's uh that's the key point there that you're really wanting to attract the advocates and the promoters, and that's what
1: you're aiming for. Yeah, love it, agree. I'm a huge Net Promoter fan and I've used it successfully for a a number of years now. I will give acknowledgement out there. There are some critics of the methodology that it's perhaps a bit too simple and the applicability in a world where people's decision-making isn't linked to one simple question, one, one, one simple likely to recommend sentiment question. However, This one definitely gets added in there because it's about the customer, it's about the consumers, about the user, and it's based on the voice of the customer. Too often we rely on inferred metrics, be it, reducing wait time on a call at a call call center or page load time, making it faster, which means a better web experience. Well, we're not really sure. Those are all inferred metrics. Let's not infer. Let's actually get the voice of the customer. There's nothing more sobering than hearing your customer at a call center tell you what the issues actually are with the product and with the packaging and how they how it completely missed the mark, even though you would spent two years falling in love with this great idea that you brought to market. So definitely yeah. the voice of the customer has to be one that makes it to the island. Chris, the island's getting a bit crowded. And so I will move on to my next one, Chris. The next one I would add into this list of desert island uh, metrics are Brand equity and brand health. For me, it's how your brand stands versus other brands. It could be category or brand specific. It's what the brand stands for in hearts and minds of consumers and the positive impact this brand has on the world and the community. Now, I won't get into too much technicality of brand pyramids or brand positioning and brand personality stuff, but all of that stuff is absolutely measurable and linked to business results. There could Mm. be points of parity, so things that you do as well as other companies or points of difference, which are things that you want to own, you want to do better. And you want to you want to be superior to your competition. And I mentioned uh, bacon earlier on. I know that that got people's, mm-hmm. some people's attention. Uh, a great story I'll quickly share. It was a few years ago on how this brand called Oscar Mayer, which is a bacon brand in North America, really drove tremendous business impact. They had a real, real issue fighting against private label. They were losing because private label brands were cheaper. They were facing headwinds because consumers didn't really see them as being better quality and they were losing distribution on shelf. So perfect storm, losing space, selling less. Consumers didn't really like them, but they found this bunch of super passionate bacon lovers who were so intense. You know, the types of people who are constantly emailing us, or tweeting memes about bacon, the type of people who dress up as bacon if they were doing a fun run, the people who are watching bacon videos all the time, you know, just these very intense extra people. Anyway, the, the, this audience was so passionate, the, the brand came up with this wake up and smell the bacon campaign. Yes, it had a limited edition attachment that you'd plug into your phone, and you'd set the alarm clock, and then you could wake up at 7 a.m. to the beautiful fragrance of bacon in the morning. Completely ridiculous. They had 100,000, I think they had like 300,000 people trying to get hold of these limited edition bacon alarm clocks. Really, why? Well, created the buzz, it created PR, and created this fervor, these, these passionates who had to get one of these. And guess what? all of that led to people caring a bit more about the brand and they actually boosted the tastes credentials, the best tasting credentials by about 14 points that, and they increased brand likability. And I say all that because what it did was drive household penetration, two points, created millions of dollars of extra revenue. And so getting people to think, feel, and act differently about the brand, which is all measurable, led to closing that sales performance gap and growing their business. And so for me, Wake Up and Smell the Bacon is a great example of why measuring brand matters, and you can do that on your brand.
0: To be honest, you completely lost me after hearing about that attachment on your phone. I mean, that is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. But um, but hey, you remember it, and I think I probably will now, so it does its job, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, they were
1: going for $20, uh, $20, $30, so after they were they were basically giveaways, and then people actually started to try and get them on eBay and paying hard cash to get hold of them. So they became sort of after items. That's how passionate people are were about this idea and as I say all link back to the brand selling more brilliant
0: well look after banging on about it last week it has to be retention measures for me if you're not focused on churn rate and your lifetime value of customers then you're falling into that short-termism that we discussed in the Mm -hmm. rise of a retention hackers it's easy to say but probably the hardest to calculate it requires good data, and companies with anonymous data really struggle with this and tend to give up, quite often a little bit too easily, in in my opinion. But saying that, if you've got a customer um, mm-hmm. who has to log in for a product, if you've got a product which is a subscription or recurring mm-hmm. revenue, it's much easier to look at that lifetime value. And and it allows so many more opportunities because you can then flex your marketing investment, just not necessarily on the first year of cost, but a, a spread out the, the life stages of, of the customer. If you're selling physical products in retail or you've got anonymous customers using a guest check-in, it's a it's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more difficult to do that. However, you've still got to work hard at it. Back in the day, in um, supermarkets, uh, before we were able to track a huge amount, we worked very, very hard um, on looking at the lifetime value of our customers, and we managed to do it. So so it is possible. You've just got to be creative on that.
1: Yeah, I I fully agree, Chris. And also, shameless plug, that links back to the Rise of Engagement Hacker episode that we (laughs) have just posted um, a week or so ago. So yes, I completely agree with that coming in. To yeah.
0: island. So if you miss that one, go and listen on it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Shameless plug for ourselves. Go listen to that episode where we go into depth about why retention matters and it becomes such a metric that makes it to the island this week. So Chris, my final one, now, the island is getting very crowded, but we're going to save a space, the towel and a deck chair and some some drinks and sunglasses on this wonderful island, to internal organisational measures of capability, of mindsets of the business. So this could be linked to the culture, it could be linked to the purpose, to the mission or to the values, but you need to be measuring that stuff. Too often, that stuff lives on a page, in a piece of paper or in a binder, on a website or worse still, posters on a wall that you walk by. but. Nothing ever happens with them. I want to see it happen. And we know that what gets measured matters. Simply put, how are you tracking this? How do they show up in manager and leader reviews? Is promotion, is compensation, is recognition tied to it? How much brand advocacy comes from employees? What's it worth in terms of media value or in productivity? So if if your brand has a purpose, then it should be brought to life throughout your business and marketing campaigns. It's the source of news, it's the source of PR, and it's a catalyst for advertising. And here, I always go to Ben and Jerry's because I think they do it so well. Their purpose is written down and it it stands out. Um, They're founded on a mission dedicated to link prosperity for their product, economic and social missions that all must thrive equally. But they've got KPIs that actually show up in a number of areas that just wouldn't happen for other brands. And it's so linkable to Ben and Jerry's. So there's real dollars they're spending on their purpose via products, via marketing and and employee time. And so they've got a product in store called Justice Remixed, which is dedicated (laughs) to criminal justice reform. Yes, criminal justice reform has a taste. And I don't want to be flippant, but they have Pecan Resist, which is... Dedicated to, um, you know, fighting organizations or peaceful protests against against discriminatory practices. Save Mm Us World, which is dedicated to climate change. They even named the chocolate chip cookie dough to I Do I Do to recognize the rights of all couples to get married. And even their founders have got arrested. I think in 2016 and in 2018 for protesting. And so all of that shows up as actual KPIs, actual activity they're measuring and tracking in their business. And so for me, the culture, the purpose, the mission values has to show up has to be have have real dollars you have to be able to see it t- taste it in the case of ben and jerry's and and it's an important part of the business but it's also measured and tracked in their scorecard
0: brilliant yeah that, that's great yeah to be fair i think i've got a couple of ice cream names that i could add in from this side of a pond of a moment but again let, let's not get drawn down outside um one final one from me um and that's about conversion funnel metrics whether you're starting right at the top whether it's Sort of measuring the sort of the traffic coming into your site, whether it's landing pages, SEOs, the channels. This is the geeky stuff mm-hmm. that I get excited about. I know you get excited about Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> Sam, I just heard you there. <laughs> but the, the geeky stuff, the performance marketing metrics. Mm-hmm. These are the ones where, if you can fine-tune the business, you can have such a significant impact and increase that efficiency. Um, it's, it's really thinking about it as the as the engine. Uh, making sure that you're pulling the right levers so that it really sort of finely tuned um, works well. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, performance marketeers... Have to love Excel or their analytics suite or even Google Sheets, but it's not that many of them that love that, I don't think. Their their love of marketing comes from measuring performance and seeing an impact. Uh, And and quite often, that's more than the creative side of it. I'm really impressed with the analytical skills of performance marketers that I'm seeing come through the ranks at the moment. And a good product manager knows that he needs to be hot on every single metric as well. Mm. He needs to understand that conversion funnel from end to end so so i think i think that's that's got to be in there as well for me
1: well chris that 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 works then we've got business performance targets i think we called that out first and then we talked about cost per acquisition which is one of yours then i i added behavior change we had customer satisfaction brand equity and health which is a key one the building the brand is fundamental we had retention in their retention measures internal org, org measures and conversion metrics and wait a minute that's eight chris um so we have mm. got to eight and we promised seven so which one takes yeah. less of a priority yeah
0: i mean look we, we spent 11 episodes preaching about the need to focus keep it simple and prioritize and and, and now to be honest i can't choose if i'm forced to then I would I would argue that perhaps if you've got a really strong dashboard measuring those hard figures around acquisition conversion retention that you could do without customer satisfaction but then of course you lose all the color it's like having sort of a you know quantified um, qualitative research as well as sort of quantitative research you want that blend you want that mix mm-hmm. uh, so yeah do you know what I can't choose Sam I mean, to be honest, I sacrificed yours before mine, but that's only because I like the black and white hard measures. Um, And uh, But but saying that, I think uh, you really brought to life some of those sort of uh, organisational measures as well. I think we just need a bigger island, Sam. I think that's what we yeah, need. Yeah, because
1: I'm not giving up any of mine. So yes, I think we do need uh, a bigger island or some sort of <laughs> s- solution.
0: I, I, I assumed that. I assumed that. So so look that that's the easy part. Although it, it didn't actually feel that easy. Um, once you know what you're going to measure, you have to ask yourself again, what does success look like? What does success really look like? Not not just a Um, on the surface level when you really sort of get down to how does that relate to your purpose and core business goal and then the hard work really starts how often are you going to measure it who's going to measure it do you need an army of analysts how do you communicate that information Mm. clearly is there a simple dashboard and how much do you spend analyzing results rather than implementing activity So a whole load of questions to answer, Sam. In fact, I think we have enough to cover for a, a part two of this um, and time's getting on. So, so look, why don't, you, why don't you sum up uh, where you think we are, the three takeouts uh, of this episode and, and then we're, we'll organise a part two of this one, Sam?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. We've landed on, on, on what to measure and what success looks like. The first point is it's tricky as you heard from us, but you need to be choiceful and be have a point of view on what you're going to measure. We landed on eight, perhaps you can get it to seven, but have a point of view and spend the time and effort crafting what your metrics are. Secondly, you need definitive measures that be, can be calculated and some which are perhaps more qualitative. So in nature, so you've got to have that blend and that balance. It can't all be stuff that is only lives in a spreadsheet uh, and and only lives in in numbers. There's got to be some, some qual as well as quant. And the third one I think is defining what success looks like is only the start of the journey the the what you measure is important but the how matters just as much if not more and we'll get into that in next week's show chris yeah
0: good 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 and look i I think there's there's one piece of um homework because we did talk about demystifying acronyms so so i think um think about one acronym that actually you think works one kpi one measure that you think is it's appears complicated, but is actually really powerful. Let's try and bring our our killer KPI next week to the show. Um, And and on next show, we'll look at how do you measure success? uh, What are the pitfalls to avoid? What are the tools of a trade? And some innovative approaches to measuring success. So so yeah, a a lot more to cover, but I think it's been a a great show. Thanks for bringing this to
1: life, Sam. Absolutely, Chris. I think we've got to get Back to work then, Chris. Another work, yep. another work, well, another work, another episode on metrics, and I, I can't wait because I think we've, we've got people to a good place. But let's, let's close, close the deal on in the next episode.
0: Good stuff, Sam. All right,
1: I will see you next week. Yes, Chris. Have a great week, and till next time, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransformed.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type marketing transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformshow at gmail.com.